It appears that you have stumbled upon the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. And you can immediately search for something more interesting, but if you stay here, you will get a chance to hear the sermon from our Sunday morning service. We make this podcast available so people from our congregation who missed the sermon can catch it later. The sermon was from March 19, 2023. The text was Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. This week was the week that Greenwood Church has their winter Bible school. I was not able to get there in person at all, but I did listen to two of the services online. I appreciated that they had that option available. And I, one of the things that I heard in those two services was the speaker was emphasizing the idea that Jesus wants his church to multiply. And I think we know that, but I, I found myself sort of appreciating the idea that the speaker would, would share this fairly clearly because sometimes it can be a little bit, little bit awkward for church members or church leaders to talk about the idea of a church growing in numbers. We feel like, oh, we should emphasize we want to grow spiritually. But, but he said, you know, Jesus wants his church to multiply, and that's going to necessarily include an increase in numbers. And I reflected on this a bit, and I don't know why I have sort of struggled to want to say that or to feel comfortable saying it. Maybe I feel like if I say that I want a church to grow in numbers, that I'm implying that maybe I'm not content with the number of people who are here or that I'm concerned about status or I'd like like a bigger audience or, I mean, you could have bad reasons, I guess, of, of wanting more offerings and, and more more money. But but isn't it, is it okay to say that you want your church to grow in numbers? I don't ever personally have interest in being part of a church of a thousand, but a church of 120 seems like a good number to me because then you're at a place where you could do a church plant. And I dream about a Mennonite church in this community being located in a town where their sidewalks and parking lots could be used as a skate park and basketball courts and people could show up, kids could show up after school and hang out and interact with adults and, and do their homework there. So I don't know, but the speaker at Winter Bible School was pretty clear that Jesus wants us to multiply. And I appreciated that because it felt like it was sort of permission to say, you know what, he wants churches to grow. But we shouldn't be concerned only with numbers, of course. We want more followers of Jesus. I think that's fair to say and appropriate to say. But we also want existing followers of Jesus to grow, to know him more deeply, to follow him more completely, and to love God more and more each day. We want people to experience rest and peace and joy that can only be found through Jesus. And we want new people to experience that rest and peace. We want to experience this now in the present, but also in the new heaven and the new earth and the time to come. So I share this partly as a reflection on some of the two, two episodes, or not episodes, two meetings, what do you call them, lectures, that the guy shared during Winter Bible School. But I also share this because I believe it's relevant to our passage for today. I'm not trying to take your time away or, or go in some other direction. As I read our passage for today, I kept thinking about some of these things that the guy was sharing at Winter Bible School, and we'll see if you can, can put that in your mind. So we're in Hebrews 6, verses 9 to 12, which Linda has just read for us, and in some context, 
Um, the author of Hebrews has been teaching about how Jesus is our great high priest. So in my mental picture, I'm kind of imagining a preacher or a pastor of a church standing up in front of his congregation, and he's trying to teach them knowledge, knowledge about Jesus as our high priest. And actually, if you, just as an aside, if you uh, have that mental picture of somebody preaching a sermon when you read Hebrews, that might be, there might be a reason for that. There's a, if you read Hebrews, you'll notice that it's not laid out like a letter for the first many chapters, but then right at the end, it's very much like a letter with some closing greetings and other things. And some people have at least guessed that part of the reason it's laid out this way is that Hebrews is a transcription of a sermon that somebody preached. They wrote it down, and then they closed it off with some comments and enclosed it as a letter and sent it off to people who needed to hear. And so that's just a guess, but it might be why when I read it, sometimes I feel like it's a sermon, and then towards the end it feels like a letter. But whatever the case, I tend to picture somebody preaching, and so he's, he's there, he's teaching about Jesus as the high priest, it's a lot of great stuff, and then at the end of chapter 5, or partway through, he kind of interrupts himself, and he says, but I'm not sure you're ready to understand this. I feel like maybe you just don't have enough spiritual maturity to get what I am trying to say to you, and I'm afraid that you've you might turn away from Jesus because spiritually immature people sometimes turn away from Jesus. And when you turn away from the author and source of all life, then you turn towards death. And I don't want that for anyone in my congregation. But then, in our passage for today, we can see that the author, he is concerned about his congregation, but he's also confident that they will continue to grow, to mature in their relationship with God. He's confident they're going to grow to love God more deeply that they will experience the peace and the richness and the rest that God can offer in this age and in the age to come. But they are going to need to persevere. So then eventually, after this sort of parentheses, he gets back to talking about Jesus as the high priest. And so he, he gave a warning. Then he moves today into this idea of saying, dear friends, even though we are talking this way, that's the warning, concerned about people who might fall away from Jesus, people who might experience the consequences of rejecting Jesus, even though we're talking this way, we don't, we really don't believe this applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. So I don't, I don't want to in any way diminish the weight or the substance of the warning that he gave in what was last, no, two weeks ago's passage, but I also don't want to overemphasize it because we can see here that he is not writing for that purpose. He's writing to give them encouragement. He's not too concerned that this applies to them. He's confident that the people reading his letter will grow and mature. He says, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. So he's confident that the members of his congregation or the people that he's writing to will indeed grow because God will remember how hard they have worked and how much they have loved him. And according to this passage, how did the people show their love for God? It says, by caring for other believers. The NIV, if you read it, it's translated a little bit differently. The love you have shown him as you have helped his people. The New American Standard says, the love which you have shown toward his name by having served and by still serving the saints. So love for God is an action, and it's an action of care, of help, or service toward the people of God. 
See, the author is confident that his church members will continue to grow, and, and so he knows that if, if love for God is central to our faith, and if our love for God is shown through caring for others, and the author is confident that they will continue to grow, and he wants them to continue to grow, then he says, our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts, in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. I was thinking I should, you know, as, as a good preacher, you should probably sort of pause here and just say he is not, I don't believe he is talking about sort of our standing before God. Don't, don't get this idea that if you fail to love people properly, that God's going to erase your name from the book of life. And that's, that's a good thing because none of us are ever going to love anybody perfectly. And don't also get this idea that if, if only you can love somebody good enough, then, then that's going to earn you a good relationship with God. That's not true either. Our relationship with God is made possible by the work of Jesus on the cross. And that's, that's another sermon for another time. I'm pretty sure you've probably heard them. You will again if you come back. But today, Hebrews 6 is our passage. And, and the context here is the author wants the people to continue to grow, to continue to mature, to continue to love God more by loving others. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. So to love God deeply, to experience the full rest and richness of what it means to be close to God, to experience his peace and its full abundance, we have to persevere in our relationship with God. I want to read the same verse out of the New American Standard it says, we and we desire that each one of you demonstrate the same diligence. And if you look in the context, he's referring back to verse 10, which talks about loving others. The same diligence about loving others so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So these two different translations capture sort of two different angles of the same idea here. The New American Standard emphasizes the requirement of diligence. The New Living Translation, I think, helps better bring out what that diligence is about, about loving others as long as life lasts. So if you read all four verses in both translations, it's just worded a little differently. But I feel like the one emphasizes one facet and the other the other. And I'd like to draw attention to both. There's a diligence component, but the diligence is about loving others. So... For people to continue to grow and to mature and to become everything that God wants them to be, and for them to experience the richness of being those kinds of people, for them to mature in this way, they need to be diligent about loving God, and that means loving other people. And then, if we are diligent, we get to verse 12, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. And so a church that is spiritually vibrant, one that is growing, one that is maturing, is one that is going to be loving God more and more each day. And I realize it's sort of an obvious statement. It's about as obvious as if you say that, you know, in a healthy marriage, the people are going to be loving each other more each day. It's, it's, but what is the love that is talked about here? If a, if a church of people who are vibrant and mature is a church in which they love God more, what does it mean 
to love God. And again, back to verse 10, the author seems to make it clear that love for God in the context he's writing about is shown by our love for other believers. And so I feel like the author of Hebrews, probably just like the pastor of of any church, he wants people to grow in their relationship with God. He wants them to become mature believers. He wants them to experience all of that joy and richness of being healthy people, healthy Christians. And he wants new people to come to Jesus. I'm sure he wants them to grow and them to mature. And he says, he says that in order for this to happen, our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. So if we faithfully and continuously love others, we will experience the fullness of what God intends and what God offers. Peace and rest in this world that comes only from him, irrespective of our circumstances, but perhaps equally importantly, the same in the world to come, in the new heaven and the new earth when he remakes everything. So as we live this out, we will also bring in new disciples and people will experience this blessing as well. And I thought, if I, if I stop here, I'm a little bit afraid that it sounds like I'm just trying to add more to your, your burden of life. You had better go out this week and find somebody to love, otherwise God's going to be upset with you. And I don't, I don't mean it that way at all. There, it is fair from this passage to say that there is an element of diligence. It, it, it's brought out more in the Amer- New American Standard, but it does take some effort or some work or some perseverance. If we want to grow, if we want to show our love for God, we're going to have to love others. And there's a certain level of commitment involved in that. If you've been in a relationship with any person, you know that there is some, some element there. But I'm not trying to add to anybody's burdens. I do want to acknowledge that. But it seems to me that the author of Hebrews is wanting a particular group of Christians that he's writing to, he wants them to grow and to mature. And that's what I want for this congregation, probably what we all want for this congregation. And I think it's fair to say we'd like some numerical growth as well. And maybe Winter Bible School will help me feel like it's okay to say that. So with all of this in mind, a desire for growth spiritually in numbers, The passage seems to suggest that if we want this, then we need to be diligent about loving others. And I I also thought there's there's a little bit of a risk when somebody preaches on a sermon, preaches a sermon on this kind of topic that somebody could misunderstand and and think that that perhaps, you know, the the preacher's trying to say, well, it's all just about love, and it sounds sort of cheesy. But to be clear, any, any healthy church has to have good teaching, good understanding of scripture, and that, that's also brought out here in Hebrews. I mean, we try to teach the Bible, but the author of Hebrews was writing it when he was writing this letter, and he was trying to write it because he knew that there were things that the people in this church or this community of believers needed to understand. They needed to, to, to have a better knowledge. So, so the next thing we're going to get is when he's writing about Jesus as our high priest, as we move on into that for several chapters. But he covers other things as well in this book. So it is important to have knowledge, to have depth there of, of understanding the Bible, of understanding Scripture. But maybe I'll sound a little bit like Paul when he's writing in 1 Corinthians. If I say, we can have all of this. We can know the Bible inside and out. We can have all the knowledge in the world But if we don't love God, if we don't love people, 
we won't be healthy and we won't grow, spiritually or numerically. We won't be at peace and we won't experience God's rest. So what is love again? It's an action, it's care, it's help, it's service, it's commitment. So in a congregation, people need to know that they are loved, not because because of words that are said, but because of actions that are lived out. And again, there's, there's the worry that if I, if I share this, that it's going to sound like I'm trying to, to correct people. But I've heard a lot of beautiful stories of the love that is exchanged within the people who are in this room now or, or some who are away for the weekend. I've heard stories of people who have given gifts, who have taken lunch breaks together, people who help one another move from one house to another, move furniture, fix broken re- equipment, just sit with somebody who is hurting and broken in a time of difficulty. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that happens that I never hear about, and that's, that's how it should be. So this is not, not in any way a, a rebuke or a criticism, but a reminder that this stuff is actually important. It's part of what it means. So I know there's probably room for all of us to grow, There's certainly room for me to grow in showing love towards others. It's okay to shout amen right there if you you want to, but there's probably room for you to grow as well. But, But I'm not here to criticize, but this is important. You see, sometimes when we dream about growing as a church, growing in our maturity or growing in our numbers, we think about bringing in special speakers, or we think about building a new building, or we think about implementing a new program, or, or we, we talk about a tent revival, or, or various tasks, or restructuring our... We do all this thinking, and it can be overwhelming. And I think, maybe my main point here, is that if we are wanting to grow ourselves, we want others within our congregation to grow, we want to bring in new people, the first priority is loving God more, and our love for God is shown by our love for people. So that's, that's where it starts. And the other stuff may, be, may need to come, but it will start with our love for each other and our love for God. And I also thought, you know, there's a, a, little bit of a, a little bit of a risk that's going to sound just a little bit cheesy as I talk about this, you know, You've probably heard sermons like this before, or, or you could kind of gleaned it by now. You don't need to come and spend half an hour or however long it's going to take for me to tell you this. But I guess maybe it's still good to remind ourselves once in a while that, that all the best doctrine, all the best teaching, all of the best buildings and everything, all of this is irrelevant if there isn't love for people and there isn't love for God. So that's... That's something I want you to remember in a new way. There's one other thing that I'd like to think about as, we, as, we, as I wrap this up. What is true love? You might find whole movies about true love or something like that. But what is it really, especially in a congregational setting? Because maybe we need to, to think, about, think about that a little bit. If, if our love for God is shown by our love for others, what, what does this look like? Well, love is certainly... Service and care for others, that's an important thing. That's something that was talked about in this particular passage. This one I feel we do fairly well within this congregation. Is there room for growth? Probably. But, but the care, the help, the support of another person. But love is also laying down our own self 
for the sake of somebody else. Setting aside my own preferences because I know you would like something done differently. Setting aside what I want because I know you want something different. This is part of love. It's harder. It's a little bit harder. And love is also acknowledging and facing hurts and conflicts. And this is really, really hard because sometimes we have a tendency to think that if we truly loved, there wouldn't be hurts and there wouldn't be conflicts. So we try to suppress these hurts, suppress the conflicts. But when we suppress stuff too much, eventually love dies and people walk away from each other. This happens in friendships. This happens in marriages. It happens in congregations. So true love requires openly facing the conflict so that the relationship can continue and the love can deepen. And this is hard. But Remember, there is that element of diligence that is mentioned in our passage, especially if you read the New American Standard Version in verse 11. We shouldn't expect true love to always be extremely easy. But of course, maybe the last thing to remember is we will never know how to love until we let ourselves be loved by Jesus, who is the only one who can love perfectly only one who can love us completely. And he will help us and he will transform us. If we try to love solely on our own, we're going to be in trouble. So this may be a reminder of something that you already know, but it's still a good thing to hear. Remember, Jesus was asked a question once, what's the single greatest commandment? And he answered slightly, slightly differently. He said, actually, there's two, to love God and to love others. And he said, the second is equally important. So Jesus linked these together, love God, love others. And perhaps he linked them together because they cannot be done apart from each other. We can't love God unless we love our neighbors. And we can't love our neighbors unless we love God. So when we do this, when he help, with his help, when we live this out, our church will grow. Once again, you have squandered 20 perfectly good minutes listening to a sermon. This sermon from March 19, 2023. The text was Hebrews 6, verses 9 through 12. Take care.